The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The break in inflation, the CPI hits a two-year low. The investment committee debating what it means for stocks and your money and maybe not the reaction that some were looking for today. We're also joined by Professor Jeremy Siegel in just a few moments. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Surat Sethi, Jim Labenthal, everybody here at Post 9. Let's check the markets. I reference what's happening within the market. Uh, initially a pop, now not so much. Dow's down by 100. S&P's good for six. NASDAQ is uh, higher uh, as we speak. But Jimmy, uh, you did have the lowest inflation read in a couple of years. Where's your rally? Where yeah. is the rally? Yeah. I, I, well, it's not here today. Let's answer that question first off. But I think there's a simple explanation for what's going on in the market. I think the stock market right now just is in fear of a recession and really believes the recession is going to hit. Um, you can see that right now out of the corner of my eye. I'm looking at the year-to-date uh, returns for the S&P 500 versus the NASDAQ versus the Dow. Round numbers, the S&P 500 is up 7.5%. The NASDAQ, which, as we know, is heavily populated by the FANG stocks, is up 17.1%, and the Dow is flat on the year. Now, the FANG stocks for the last 15 years have been the place that investors go in slow-to-no-growth environment. That's been the only place to get growth in earnings in a slow-or-no-growth environment. And the market is just screaming right now that it thinks a recession is coming. To me, actually, I think this is a good setup. There's been a lot of damage done in cyclical names, a lot of damage. Underperforming today, obviously. Underperforming today, and you can see that in the Dow versus the NASDAQ. There's yeah. 100 basis points of difference. If you start to get indications that this recession is further away, and Friday's labor report was such an indication, when you get those indications, it sets up the cyclicals from these very low valuations to rally nicely. Okay, Jenny, take that on, um, because the New York Fed's own recession indicates spiking today. Cyclicals, as we said, underperforming. Um, there's a lot of concern about where this economy is heading. Inflation, I think the word of the day is sticky. Yes, it's down. It's not down that much. And it's going to be, uh, you know, an aggravating fight to try and get it lower. And we'll see what the Fed's going to do. This doesn't clinch anything in terms of what Santoli had to say earlier, which I think is a fair way of, of assessing. Pause, most likely, no clinch right. on anything. You know what was interesting? Yesterday you put a chart up from J.P. Morgan and it said, here are expectations of what's going to happen tomorrow morning. And this was the, what happened, there are, it was already baked in. Right, this is what there was 50% plus odds of happening. And so where I think we are is, I'm not sure I entirely agree with Jim that the market's just really fearing a recession. I think where we are is in this incredibly opaque environment where nothing really points too strongly in either direction. And what do we know the market hates? The market hates opacity. The market wants clarity. And we're muddling through this earnings season, but even earnings haven't given us functional clarity. Because what we've seen is some really excellent numbers, a lot of beats, but then what was guidance, all the guidance 
not all, almost all the guidance was saying something like, but you know what, we had great earnings, but we're not gonna raise for the rest of the year because there's too much opacity. We don't really know what the landscape looks like. So to me, what I'm looking for, what I'm waiting for is some kind of clarity. We need How are you gonna get that? I mean, where, where are you gonna get that from? I hear what you're saying. I think everybody's waiting for that, but you act like it's just gonna show up. You what is what? the clarity you're looking for? Uh, this is not a wonderful answer because it's really painful. I think we need two more quarters of earnings. And I think we just need to get through that. And nobody likes patience, especially in the stock market. The market hates to employ patience. But how else are we going to get there other than having another quarter under our belt, another quarter after that under our belt? And then maybe you see that 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 whole we don't know what the rest of the year looks like, therefore we can't forecast and we're not going to raise, maybe we're past that. The other thing that I really struggle with is this neither here nor there multiple on the market, which is we're still hovering around 17 and a half times. Yeah, I know we can make the argument that the big guys take up a lot of that weight and that everything, like the other 490 components of the S&P 500 are well under the 18 times, but by and large, we just don't have cheap multiples out there. Well, the problem is, I mean, I think Jim is undeniably correct. I mean, recession is the overhang. That's, that is the overhang, no matter well, how you want to throw. The reason why we can't get out of the range that we're in is because we're fearful of a recession. We're fearful that multiples as they exist today are not the multiples of tomorrow, that the great earnings that you referenced a moment ago are not the earnings of, of tomorrow. But yesterday we were saying the debt ceiling is the overhang. No, but that's the, ne that's the nearest term overhang. Because it's, as we said, the market has this tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. Today it's the debt ceiling, tomorrow and every day thereafter, so to speak, is recession fear. And until you break that, you can't get out of the range. You don't, you, what do you think? I think you're 100% correct. And I, the word that I would use is the market has no breath. And you need that. It's too narrow. The focus is on rotating away from cyclicals into growth, growth at a reasonable price. And that leads to an environment where energy's down once again today. Why? Concerns about demand weakness. Financials are down once again today. Why? Concerns that the consumer is weakening, that the consumer is going to be faced with needing to extend maturities on debt at a must, much, much higher money factor. Go inside the inflation report today. Look at airlines. Look at hotels. Look at new cars. All indications of a consumer that is now becoming cost conscious, but yet used cars were actually higher. So you have this cost conscious consumer. We are absolutely in an environment where the economy is contracting. You wanna say you're searching for a universal recession. Okay, fine. I've said many times on air, I think the industries and sectors that are most critical to the US economy are already in recession. And maybe coming out, Joe, yep. housing, housing, right? Technology. Technology coming uh, te out. But housing's going to come out first. I think it's already doing that. You know, I mean, yes, uh, mortgage rates now at 6% plus. Uh, it, you know, it's still high, but it's off of the 7% number from a few months ago. What's your view, Surat? Yeah, look, I mean, everybody's kind of talking about the same things here, right? You, there's no catalyst in the short term, right? And, and actually, the, the, the only thing we're all staring down is 
every headline you read is, oh, we're nowhere close to that debt ceiling today. So why would you put capital to work in front of a two-week uncertain period? And to everybody's point here, we just don't know where earnings are going to be. So where do you go? You go to your safety stocks. You go to the FANG stocks. Where do you go in fixed income? You go to treasuries or you go to very short term. And there is capital going into treasuries. There is capital going into short-term savings just to, as people are kind of don't want this other 20% correction that we've had three of them in four years. So I think the safety plays are going to be, you know, whether you agree or not, the high multiple stocks. But I think there's, there is value in, in some other stocks that there, the healthcare stocks. They are defensive stocks that you can be in. You know where you go? You go to Organon. <laughs> Speaking of healthcare, OGN, Jenny. Right. New buy. New buy. So, you know, I've been sitting on cash for a long time. And one of the things that I love about Organon, by the way, it's a spinoff from Merck. It's spun off in 2021. And what it is, is it's kind of everything Merck didn't want. It's all of their slower growers. So it's, it's three main businesses. It's women's healthcare, established brands, big old brands like Singular and, um, and Nasonex that went that lost exclusivity but are still minting a lot of cash, still producing a ton of revenues, and then biosimilars. So a drug called Halima, which for example is a competitor to Humira. So, so you've got this company, right, that was spun off. Spin-offs, which Surat and I were talking about just before the show, have been really orphaned. Nobody's paying attention to it. It's a company that's going to produce a billion dollars of free cash flow in the next year, trading with a five and a half billion dollar market cap. They have all the cash they need to cover the dividend, which is five percent. There's very little economic sensitivity. In fact, most of their revenues come from overseas. So not as only is there little economic sensitivity by nature of its business, but also by the nature of that they, they're not even US-based, so you don't even need to worry about a US recession. There's kind of like six to eight percent earnings growth ahead, five and a half times earnings multiple. It's not exciting, but it's exactly where I want to be right now. I don't need to worry about the broader market picture. What about healthcare here? Healthcare Surat said that's where you want to be, Jenny you know, puts the money there. Yes. We think. And healthcare is is where where I am and it offers the correct balance of growth, value, offense, defense. Um, Big Pharma has rewarded the investor, whether it is Eli Lilly, which is trading like a biotech, or Merck, which we've talked about at nauseum on the network for the better part of the last 13 months. I think these are the places that you want to be. I also think you could look at the biotech trade. I gave yesterday CRISPR Therapeutics as a final trade. I think that stock is breaking out right now. It goes above 70. I think the biotech space is getting re-energized. And a lot of the reason for the, the, the new energy there is because we're searching for growth and biotechs find you that opportunity where you can see that growth. All right. Let's bring in our headliner uh, for the hour today. Uh, he's Jeremy Siegel, professor of the Wharton School. Professor, it's good to have you back. Uh, anytime there's a read on inflation, we love to have you um, because you've, yeah. you've claimed the Fed is done raising rates. Yeah. What's your read on what we got today on CPI? It was very, it was good. I mean, actually, the whisper number was much worse than some of the consensus numbers, and I was a little bit worried, but it actually came in at or below. And when I, I looked at the data, you know, if you take out the rent and the owner-occupied uh, uh, rent, which is from home ownership, uh, really, we do have that core inflation down to the 2% level. Uh, we know the tremendous lag in, in that housing sector will play itself out in the second half of this year. 
Uh, in fact, some of the things that were even higher now, uh, some of the uh, more current data on used prices, which did jump, are actually down in the in the last few weeks. Uh, we have gasoline down four and a half percent from the high that it, it hit in the middle of April. Uh, so that might actually cause further disappointment. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the Fed is done, but I agree with everyone on the panel. I think the fear of recession is an overhang, and I worry, is the Fed, once it sees those signs, if it does, will they respond fast enough? I mean, the bar is high for raising rates. Um, for the Fed, the bar is really high for lowering them. I, I say you need to see a negative payroll number, and I wouldn't be surprised to see one in the fall. And let's see how the Fed does then. That I think that's the worry. Otherwise, I, I think I think this market is is quite well priced. Uh, you know, I believe that P/E ratios should be 19 and 20, uh, and I think it, they're lower because of the fact that uh, uh, that fear of recession uh, and the Fed not reacting on the other side is is a, a source of concern. Would you agree that the bar is much higher for lowering rates than it is for for raising them again? Well, I, I the bar for uh, but I. The bar for raising rate, we have one down, two to go. I mean, today's data was good. We have one more CPI report, and then that uh, the, the employment report that uh, you know will come out for the month of May. So uh, I, I mean, I, unless both of those are super hot, you're not going to get a, a rise in June. The trends I see long term with the rent and owner uh, equivalent rent playing in on the downside of the second half of this year will make the official statistics look good. So, I, you know, I think the bar is high. Don't forget, let, let's face the facts. We have really not seen how this banking crisis is impinging on lending. Yes, we, we, we do. You know, we, I don't believe there's going to be a banking crisis or run on the banks. The, the, the Fed is there for deposits. But, the, you know, the sluice report, the restrictions on lending, they're going to be playing themselves out May, June, uh, May, July, June, July, August, in the forward. We're going to see those then. How much of that restriction in lending is right. going to slow down but economic activity and cause negative payroll growth? What happens if the, the regional bank issue wasn't the last shoe to drop? And on that note, I want you to listen, Professor, to what Stanley Druckenmiller had to say yesterday at the Sohn conference on that very issue we'll discuss on the other side. When you have free money, um, people do stupid things. When you have free money for 11 years, people do really stupid things. So there's stuff under the hood. It's starting to emerge. Obviously, the regional banks, recently we had Bed Bath & Beyond, but I would assume there's a lot more bodies coming. How would you respond to that? Well, I, you know, I, you know, what what I've said and and what I've said on this show is the big failure was the free money and and uh, right after the pandemic when they were pumping trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy. The that was the problem. I don't have problem with the pre-pandemic monetary policy. I mean, you know, we had one and a half to two percent inflation, pretty good growth, great stock market. It, it All the problems started with all the fiscal stimulus that was totally financed by printing money, causing all this inflation, a, a very late 
wrong read by the Federal Reserve, and then finally a read by the Federal Reserve, oh, we got to do something. I mean, but it was that period that caused the explosion of prices. I mean, but, you know, 45% housing price increase from March of 2020 when the pandemic hit until March of 2022. It's just, uh, it's just unbelievable. But, but revisionist um, history, Professor, doesn't, doesn't help think about what's coming next. It's, do you agree with Mr. Druckenmiller that maybe the regional bank issue was just the tip of some sort of an iceberg, that there are going to be more major issues to show up? We just don't know what they are yet. No, I, I, I tend not to, not to agree with that. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a lot of consolidation with banks. I mean, they bet wrong on the term structure. And, uh, you know, we're, we're overbanked in the United States, and we're going to have a lot more consolidation, yes, and we're going to have restriction on lending. But, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, say bed, bad, and beyond in some of these failures. I don't, I don't see them happening at a particularly higher rate than before. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't see that. Even with a recession, which if, if it comes, I think it's going to be mild, I don't see anything of a, a ringing out of the economy, such as we had in 2008 and 2009, not at all, in, do you, in my do opinion. You see, do you see any meaningful gains in the stock market between now and the end of the year, and if so, how? Yeah, I, I would see a meaningful gain in the stock market, I think, if I saw that the Fed will respond to the downside as rigorously as they responded to the upside. You know, the worry I have is the Fed is going to say we're going to stay, and don't forget that we're talking about the, does the market believe it, Are we're going to stay tight if we see payrolls go negative, if we see GDP go negative, how fast are they going to respond? If they respond, I think this could be a really good year, 15 to 15% or more, total return. If they don't respond quickly, it's a much more muted year, 5 to 10 percent return. But, I said it January 1st, 10 to 15, which was in the middle because I didn't know how they would react. But I mean, the, the implication of, of what you're saying is that unless the Fed cuts, you, you use the word respond, unless yeah. they cut, this market can't go anywhere for the remainder of the year. Is, is that what you're if suggesting? They, if we see weakness, and I think we're going to see weakness in the payrolls, if the Fed does not cut, then it's it's going to be tougher sledding for the markets. Not going to say a crash or anything uh, in that sense, but I think it's going to be tougher sledding. I think we're going to see some months of negative growth, and I think the pressure is going to be on Powell and the Fed. You know, coming up on election year, wow! You know, you're seeing negative. You let's we'll see if the unemployment rate rises. What are you going to do about that? Uh, you have a dual mandate. There's still a second mandate, not just inflation. Inflation has come down. Yes, not to 2%, but it definitely has come down. And uh, you have to start looking at not only that, but the employment mandate that the Fed has. Interesting. Professor, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you joining us on this busy day uh, with CPI, with Look Ahead PPI and everything else still to come this week. Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School. Surat, what do you think? No cuts, no gains. Yeah, look, I think that's a very tough predicament because if inflation is embedded, which we've seen, and if it's above 3%, it's going to be very hard for the Fed because it's a credibility issue because then how long is that inflation going to be there? And if you do cut rates, then all of a sudden you're going to be off to the races and people are going to be spending money again like it's free again. So you've got to be very careful in this situation. Do you agree with the professor, though, that the, the action in the market, the returns are going to be muted 
for the remainder of the year unless the Fed cuts. And then the flip side of that is there are many who say cuts aren't, aren't bullish. That's representative of there's a big enough problem that the Fed has to do what they they say they won't and don't want to do. Right. right. Then you start reading into the cuts are there for something that we don't see, but the Fed is seeing. So I do think they have to stay the course a little bit longer. And that's really going to put companies in a tougher predicament in terms of cash flow, refinancing debt and a consumer that has higher coverage as well. You know, you need do you need cuts to get what you want? You don't need cuts. Um, and I'm not and I'm with you on this, that I think cuts are most likely going to happen for the wrong reason. Right. What the professor said is how quick their response time is. Their response time would be quick if they were to say that inflation is coming down fast enough. That's not what's going to happen. If they cut, it's going to be because it's too late and because the economy's already gone into a recession. I do, though, think that there is still a reasonably good chance that we skirt out of a recession. Five percent on the Fed funds rate is not a, uh, you know, it's not a deadly rate in and of itself. Well, from zero to five in uh, barely more than a year, it can be. Uh, in general, I would, <laughs> in general, Scott, I would completely agree with you. But the evidence in front of us right now is that the economy is still doing pretty well. Labor market's still strong. Profits are doing a lot better than expected. So what you just said make perfect sense, but yet we're all scratching our head at why, you know, we're now 15 months into this rate hiking cycle. I mean, there should be some effects being felt. They're not being felt that much, really. One of the things, coupling together what Stanley Druckenmiller said and what Professor Siegel said was that line about stupid, right? When so much money's in there, stupid things happen. And so I've been thinking about, as we've been talking... Yeah, like SPACs and NFTs and right. this, that, and the other and thing. And 69 million... Whatever you want to define some of the speculative behavior, some aspects of crypto, et cetera. Right, so, so, but exactly. And I was thinking about that Beeple's NFT that sold for $69 million during the pandemic. So as I've been thinking about, like, as the money's come out, as interest rates have gone up, right, what's shaken out? Our stocks are relatively insulated. We're all down a little bit, but we're not experiencing intense pain because that's not, in our world, that's not where things got really stupid, right? They didn't get really stupid at the regional banks. They got a little bit stupid at some of them. And so as we think about the pain, I think the real pain's maybe already been felt in the areas that became the most inflated, which would argue for a bit of a softer landing, maybe avoiding recession, maybe the craziness that that we saw but didn't participate in, maybe that's already shaken out. Yeah, but I mean, recession's not in the market yet. No way. Not yet. You do not want rate cuts. Rate cuts imply a much more prolonged earnings recession, which is not priced into stocks right now. I don't want rate cuts. (laughs) <laughs> everybody says they don't until they get them, and then it's like, well, I'm not everybody. If the, Fed, if the Fed's going there, I'm, I'm not. I'm then not it everyone. ends up, it ends okay, up but, being okay. a bullish thing. Like so the, my the argue- first moment is like, well, okay, obviously if they cut, it's because you know the economy's in a place where they have to cut, or something is broken further where they have to cut. But then ultimately, if they're going to be on a pathway of bringing rates back down towards whatever they deem to be a normal level. I mean, you don't think that's bullish? No, because you can't avoid the shock that's going to occur Initially. for earnings. Initially. You, okay, so where does that shock take stocks? I don't, I don't need to go revisit the October lows. That's not going to be a good feeling, okay? It, the expectation is, is the current calendar quarter that we are in is the trough for the earnings contraction. What we're talking about, what the everybody is suggesting for rate cuts, tells me that, no, there's two more quarters coming of earnings contraction. That's not good for the price of stocks. I don't want that. Right. Well, you may get cuts at the end of that if that's, in fact, the, the result. Who knows? 
Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Coming up, we'll do our chart of the day. It's a big drop for a stock after disappointing guidance. Uh, Joe has a trade update on it as well. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Chart of the day uh, is Twilio today. Uh, it is sinking post earnings. There's a stock down 16%. KeyBank downgrades it to sector weight from overweight deceleration and growth. The macro lack of catalyst trumps valuation, they suggest. Joe, you owned it uh, and you sold it. I sold it on the open, absolutely. And look, a lot of times I'm going to come on the network when I have a bad trade and I'm going to beat myself up. This is a classic example of psychologically how you have to look at investments and trades that go poorly. I will quickly forgive myself. This is a name that in the last several years I've traded phenomenally. Uh, bought the stock initially in January of uh, 2018 at $26, wrote it up to 144, bought it back again during the pandemic in the 90s and sold it out again. So I'll forgive myself on this one. Bought it at 74 on March 6. Why'd I buy it? I bought it basically on a technical breakout above the 200-day moving average, sold it this morning at 48. The fundamental turnaround is not coming fast enough for this company. They need more cost efficiency. They need to reduce the spending. They need to lift margins. They need to recreate themselves and get more diversified. How deep of a conversation did you and yourself have about this before <laughs> you decided to forgive yourself and it's cathartic? I mean, you feel that right now? No, I think you, you always analyze positions and you, know, you say to yourself, what did I do wrong? in this particular position. What I think did yourself a, say to that? I think there's a valuable lesson. I look back and I say, hey, this is a stock that I've made a lot of money in in the last couple of years. Okay. I'm not going to beat myself up on it. It's a bad trade. I bought it at 74. I sold it at 48. I'll raise my hand. That doesn't feel good. But OK, it's a dent in what overall has been a pretty successful experience with Twilio overall. All right. The CEO, by the way, is going to be in overtime um, today. So you don't want to miss that. It's down 21% over a month. But you'll hear from Jeff Lawson a little bit later on. Roblox is up after its earnings. Surat, you own? I do. And again, this is one of my stocks in a very diversified portfolio. They had higher engagement, higher usage, 
It's a speculative stock in the sense that they're not making money yet, but what they're trying to do is build a huge user base. And they are succeeding, and they're also going a little bit up market just from teenagers. So I like it. But again, remember, this is part of a diversified portfolio. You shouldn't have a huge position in this. You own Electronic Arts, Joe, in the in the Joe T. Uh, I do. Down slightly yeah. on the back of its own earnings. It did beat. Uh, and did report better than expected. Yeah, it, it, it had a bad quarter at the end of January, which was reported. So we kind of washed that away. Uh, you had record profitability surrounding the launch of EA Sports FIFA 23. Um, that launch in six months outsold the entirety of FIFA 2022. So now you've got Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which I know Jimmy plays all the time. That comes into play, and hopefully that could be a catalyst uh, for the stock over the coming quarters. But it's, it's basically nowhere. What happened with Wynn Resorts, Jim? Uh, there was a lot of optimism going in here uh, because in part of the China reopening, stock's down about 2.5%. They're 2 and a third or so. You own it. Yeah, it was a fabulous quarter. I mean, just start there. Um, I caught your tone in it. It's appropriate because the stock is down. No, 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 Alyssa. Well, maybe, maybe I'm reflecting my own feelings because the stock. Is maybe, you need, maybe you need to have a conversation with yourself. <laughs> I'm, like having Joe. One, I'm having how one right he, now. I'm having my inner dialogue out loud. Look right how good he's right doing now. right now. You didn't know you were okay. a priest. Besides Big a smile. Judge. Actually, I think Win Resorts is a good tell for the overall market. And I was going to bring this up in the A block, but I knew this was coming up. This was a fabulous report, and the guidance going forward. First off, I mean the record results in Las Vegas and Boston. Fabulous results in Macau. They reinstated their dividend. They see great advanced bookings. Their pricing is really high. So why is the stock down? It could be because it's up something like 70% in a year. I mean, that could be part of it, all right? But actually what I think this is is the macro call. People think maybe the next quarter is going to be, as management says, pretty darn good. Uh, but after that, we're going to get into the recession. This is the macro call and why it's down. But I've got to point this out, guys. This is four quarters in a row that management has come out and said, listen, we hear the macro talk, but things look really good in our business going forward. Four quarters in a row. I mean, at some point, we've got to believe them. All right. Well, as we head next to the West Coast, Google is gearing up for its annual developers conference. Our Deirdre Bosa joining us from Mountain View ahead of that kickoff. They're getting set. There it is. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Leslie Picker, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. E. Jean Carroll is speaking out after a court ruled mostly in her favor yesterday in her defamation and sexual assault trial against former President Donald Trump. Carroll told the Today Show her victory was not about the money, but about supporting women across the country. Carroll also recalled confronting Trump's lawyer after the verdict and saying, quote, he did it and you know it. A U.K. man has pleaded guilty to the high-profile 2020 Twitter hack of over 100 people, including Elon Musk and Joe Biden. The 23-year-old known under an online alias as Plugwalk Joe was extradited from Spain last month and pleaded guilty in New York court to a number of hacking violations. The charges carry a maximum combined sentence of 77 years, according to the DOJ. 
And country singer Morgan Wallen announced he is canceling six weeks of performances due to a vocal cord injury. The chart-topping artist said doctors advised him to go on vocal rest or risk permanent damage. According to his website, his tour is set to resume in late June. I'll send it back over to you, Scott. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, Google holding its annual I.O. event today amid questions over the company's role in the future of AI and whether it is losing ground to competitors like Microsoft. All right, dear Jabosa, out in Mountain View ahead of that event, that really is one of the central questions. D. It really is, and the stakes could not be higher. This is all being held across the street from Google's campus, the Shoreline Amphitheater. People have been streaming in all morning, and it kicks off just 30 minutes from now. Google has a lot to prove. You mentioned a few of them, Scott. One, it's going to have to win over developers. This is where the real battle is taking place because they're the ones that are going to create the ecosystem that will bring in the users. It also has to allay perhaps some of the investor skepticism that has arisen over the last few months that maybe Microsoft and ChatGPT is gaining the lead despite Google's many, many years, decades of investing in artificial intelligence. And finally, Scott, it's going to have to excite consumers. ChatGPT is part of the lexicon in a way that Bard isn't. And I think that's what people like Brad Gerstner, who you recently talked to, Scott, are going to be looking for some more pomp and circumstance around this event that is typically for developers. But we know CEO Sundar Pichai is going to be taking the stage. Will he be able to be as enthusiastic, as exciting as Satya Nadella has been these past few months. Yeah, big questions. Um, we'll get some answers maybe today. Dee, we'll be looking forward to your reporting throughout the rest of the day. That's Deirdre Bosa out in Mountain View, um, California. So, Joe, let's talk about this. Um, Dee referenced Brad Gerstner, right? So they got a lot to prove uh, to developers and investors like him. Let's remember what Brad Gerstner had to say to us about why he is not so high on that company and why he sold the stock. Over the course of the last year, last 10 years, really, since their acquisition of DeepMind in 2012, um, we've seen a slowing of product velocity at Google. Um, I was hopeful on the call. Their numbers were good on the call. But what I really wanted to hear, right, if I'm the CEO of Google, I have one job. I have one job. Do not let ChatGPT secure a leadership position in search and discovery when it comes to AI. And that's exactly what's happened. 200 million people now treat ChatGPT a verb as synonymous with discovery in the age of AI. Um, they breached the Google moat. Um, I haven't heard a good answer out of Google. It's kind of hard to overcome that sentiment. And there was a shareholder who sold his stock as a result. Yeah, so Josh made a very eloquent case for owning Google yesterday. Um, I believe a lot of that was based off of technicals. I could see what he sees technically, but fundamentally, um, look, most recently in the strategy that we're running, uh, we added Meta, Meta we added, added Apple, we added Apple, we added Microsoft. We did, did, not, add did, not, did not add Alphabet because I think Brad's right. I think there's been a lot of static in terms of trying to evolve the products with the same type of growth that this company has experienced in prior years. Um, I don't know if that falls directly on management or not, but I think there is a degree of culpability there that they have to reflect on and they're going to have to correct it. I want to hear from both of you two at the end of this table because, Surat, you own it, so does Jimmy. Um, Stan Druckenmiller, again, in, in part of his comments it's at Sone, likes NVIDIA, bullish Microsoft, say anything about Alphabet. 
Look, and I think, yeah, are they behind the eight ball? Absolutely. But it's the first and second inning in AI. Like, there's a lot to go there. And I wouldn't put them out of the picture completely. They also have a lot of other things going. I mean, we've seen, we don't know where AI is going to go. And, and Scott, you made the reference to hype, and you know maybe it becomes more hype than it was based on that. But they still have solid businesses. We're not buying this company just based on, hey, this is the one thing, the catalyst that's going to get you going. So I get it, but I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they do have solid businesses. Yeah, very simply put, Scott, I mean, there is basically little priced in as far as positives go for Google right now. And there's an awful lot priced in for NVIDIA and Microsoft. Um, you said something earlier in the A block about, hey, the market's not priced for recession. And what I wanted to come back to, I'm going to come back to you now, is that most of the FANG stocks really, you're absolutely right. And I would look at Microsoft, I would look at NVIDIA in that case. But Google, I would not say, I would say it's already priced in a recession. It's already priced in uh, what Microsoft and other AI players are doing. I, I think the value is there at this price in Google. But I mean, do you worry, do you, do you share some of the same worry that, uh, that Brad Gerstner and, and other investors have expressed that, you know, they let other companies like Microsoft get, if, if you want to play Surratt's analogy, you say we're only in the second inning. Well, I mean, if you got the best arms on, on your pitching staff and now you're chasing a, a good staff, what are you going to do? I, I do think Surratt is exactly right. We're really early in this game. There's a lot of hype going on. And to uh, Brad's very well put uh, comment of, you know, it's now now uh, Google's not synonymous with AI. On the other hand, Google is still Google. I mean, it's synonymous with search. That's where people generally are going to. Yes, Microsoft is making huge inroads with ChatGPT. I'm not denying that. But Google is still a verb. All right. What, yeah, quick. You know, two years ago, we were talking about Tesla as if it was the only EV player out there. And all I knew then was that massive competition was coming in. Everywhere you turn, we're talking about AI. Everyone knows there's tons of money to be made there. All I know is there's going to be massive competition. And when they had the whole, the whole market share for search, that's going to be tough to keep. All right, still ahead, the midday word. Mike Santoli Plus will give you your setup ahead of Disney earnings in overtime tonight. We're back after this. Welcome back. Shares of Carl Icahn's IEP falling sharply today after the company has revealed in a filing that the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York has contacted the company seeking information related to some of the accusations made in a recent short report from Hindenburg. IEP saying it is cooperating with that request, providing documents in the inquiry. Important to note here, the U.S. Attorney's Office has not made any claims or allegations against Mr. Icahn. As you'd expect, I reached out to Mr. Icon for comment. His attorney pointed me to a separate statement in which Mr. Icon says, quote, we will not stand by idly. We intend to take all appropriate steps to protect our unit holders and fight back. Mr. Icon also defended the firm's balance sheet, saying they have one point nine billion dollars of cash and four billion of additional liquidity and stands ready to take advantage of all opportunities, quote, IEP intends to vigorously defend itself and its unit holders, Mr. Icon went on to say. Up next, Santoli with his midday word.
Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, joins us now with his midday word. I thought you really put it perfectly uh, earlier, Mike. Good. It doesn't clinch anything yeah. in terms of what we're hoping for. We're, we, as the you know, collective market, <laughs> was hoping for. Right. So the CPI this morning, and even you could argue the other data point we were uh, anticipating, the senior loan officer survey, we're not far enough away from what the consensus expectations were to really move the conviction of anybody. So if you've been bearish, if you feel like that, you know, there's not that many, you know, grains of sand left in the hourglass before recession, uh, you're not left with that much to do because the cyclical stuff's already been hurt pretty bad. You're going to sell Best Buy and Ford and Capital One on the lows. That's already kind of there. Uh, And then also, if if you're sort of bullish or you want to take shelter in mega cap tech. They're trying to engineer a breakout of Apple. So far, mixed results. It's not really uh, playing out that way today. So you see how that kind of stuff goes. And I think what it tells you is the tactical game has really become the focus because the strategic story is as it's been for a long time. Nobody's really budging off of their positions real money-wise. Now, the mega cap growth, like the NASDAQ 100 relative to the Russell 2000, that's opened up a pretty good gap, as you can see, but only recently. You know, it's really a year-to-date story. Uh, and, you know, if you go back over a couple of years, it's really not that, uh, that dramatic. So we're kind of trading that back and forth. And uh, you can kind of look at either of those things and tell the story you want. Either the market's uh, kind of whistling past the graveyard with the NASDAQ 100, or we've already discounted a fair bit of slowdown in the Russell 2000. The problem, it, it almost feels like it's binary for those who want to be bullish in terms of rate cuts. You heard the professor with us at at the top, just off the top of the hour, suggesting, sure, the market can actually go up a lot this year if, if the Fed responds, in his words, to, you know, any kind of slowdown and responding is code for cuts. You know, I I don't know how you actually arrive at that conclusion. How do you actually know that it's cuts that has to happen? What if it is Look, we're willing to tolerate sub three and a half percent inflation and not hike anymore because we hiked from zero to five and inflation unemployment went down. Right. So if we're if we're going to tolerate sub three and a half percent unemployment and keep rates steady and earnings don't fall apart and, and the recession doesn't come on time. Who knows if, if sentiment in a position to get negative enough, negative enough on that and you pull the, the rubber band back enough, that could get you some upside, too. So I'm pretty agnostic on what the conditions need to be for the market to go in a certain direction. Yeah. All right. We'll see you in a couple hours. Closing bell. It's Mike Santoli. Up next, we'll give you the setup for Disney. Earnings are on deck in overtime. We do have ownership, as you know. We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back. We're just hours away from Disney reporting their earnings in overtime. Lucky to have three shareholders on the set today, including Jenny Harrington. What do we think here? I think we're probably going to see more of the same. We'll probably see that theme parks are strong, declining cable subscribers, movies returning to normal. But I think the real theme of the core of the call is going to be about cost cuts. And that's what people are going to be listening to and paying attention to. Yeah, there's some sort of lack of enthusiasm, though, about this quarter, right? Do you feel that? I definitely In terms of, like, do. results? <laughs> but don't you think that's pervasive? Um, no, I'm not, I don't even. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not even saying you. I'm saying it is pervasive. 100%. That's what I'm saying. I, I sort of feel is out there. Yeah, I think so. And I think what's interesting is as we saw Bank of America's consumer data and all the consumer data that we've been looking at, like things are just getting a tiny bit softer, a tiny bit squishier in the services. So even when I say we'll see theme parks strong, they won't be as strong as they were. 
movies are improving, but it's not going to be off to the races. I mean, these so, initiatives too, Jim, you know, that, that Iger is trying to um, do, uh, they take time, right? They've been announced. We all know about them, but they take some time to filter through. They, they do. Um, I do agree with Jenny, though. It's about cost cuts, and I think that's what you're alluding to, Scott. Um, I think what could move the stock uh, tomorrow is if the uh, losses in, in Disney Plus are less than expected. Yeah. That could be a positive. In terms of the theme parks, I agree with you, Jenny. They're going to be strong. Guidance is probably going to be good as well. But we saw from wind today, that's not going to matter. The market just isn't going to believe it. I think if you get any hint that profitability is coming sooner than expected in Disney Plus, that would be a positive. Sir, what about you? No, I, I agree with Jim on this. I think it's going to be a return on invested capital. And for all these quarters, it was spend, spend, spend. And I think the whole world has changed to what is your return on spend? So in addition to cost cuts, you really need a strategy for streaming. You need a strategy for where Disney is going. And maybe Iger gives us some more, but I doubt it. I don't think we're going to get much more right now on this call. Why is Disney not in the Joe T? So maybe Netflix you go through is, all this stuff. Why not? No momentum. Um, a deterioration just in terms of looking at return on equity and debt to equity and the sales growth as well. So it's moderated um, from levels of, of, of prior years. Um, they're, they're not immune to the economic challenges that are ahead. And I think you're beginning to see that. And I think the discounting and pricing, in particular for theme parks, is going to be front and center in the coming quarter. All right. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern time, Tom Lee. We're leading off with Tom Lee today on Closing Bell after that CPI print. He's been more bullish than most find out what he thinks with the Dow right now down about 190. So we look forward to do that with Dan Greenhouse as well. Julia Borston's going to walk us right up to those uh, Disney earnings in overtime as well. And uh, we think Leslie Picker's going to have some new reporting for us too uh, that we're looking forward to uh, getting uh, to the bottom of all that. Joe, you go first. What oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Here, this too. Pro Talks. Pro Talks. Jenny Harrington, 115 with Bob Pisani. We're excited about that. We're doing a deep dive on dividend investing. Please go to CNBC.com slash Pro Talks for that. Uh, nobody better on that topic. So we look forward to that. Thank Good you. luck with, uh, with Bob. All right. Now, Joe, please. Must watch TV, Jenny. Go ahead. Thanks. So the last couple of days, what I've been trying to do is find trades in which you could create a little bit of an alpha. I talked about AMD on Monday, took a small position myself personally. Yesterday, I spoke about CRISPR therapeutics. Today, let's talk about Datadog. All of these three stocks post-earnings have had very strong positive momentum reversing a particular downtrend. Take a small position in Datadog because it's gotten a little bit away from us here. Use a stop against 72. You're going to do that? I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a small position. At the close, like the, the same close thing you today. did with AMD? Yes. yes. Okay, you'll update us uh, the next time you're on about the, uh, the actual trade at the exact yep. price, uh, mm -hmm. please. Uh, Jenny Harrington, what do you got? Compass Diversified Trust. So I liken this to a teeny tiny Berkshire Hathaway where they have a collection of really high quality businesses like Sterno, the little fuel canisters that you use, or um, Marucci Baseball Bats. It's got a 5.3% yield and an excellent management team. 
All right, good stuff. Surat, what do you got? Hallie, on the spin-off from Glaxo, uh, last week uh, J&J spun off uh, Kenview, so I think you'll get more attention on this consumer stable space, undervalued, much more growth than people get credit for. All right. Uh, Farmer Jim, wrap it up. Uh, Transocean. Listen, this is a risky speculative name, but look at the news today. They're taking an idle rig that's been idle for seven months, bringing it back at a much higher day rate than average. There's been a lot of that going on with the stock. This is a good name. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. All of you, too. I'll see you on the closing bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 